once again, everyone, welcome to episode 63 of the Drunk Friend Podcast. And as always, I'm here, I'm Trav, I'm Ness Friend. But today, there's no Alex. Oh no, what happened to Alex? Well, hey, don't worry about it, guys. He's trying out for Jeopardy. Trying out for Jeopardy, that's right. Not a contestant, no, no. As host, that's right. Been a bit of a host kerfuffle over there on the old Jeopardy. Alex is going to go get it. Can you imagine Alex as a Jeopardy host? No matter what answer you give. He's like, yeah, no. I'm like, did I get it right or wrong, Alex? I don't know, man. Or if you do get it wrong, he says, well, actually. And he really, really hurts your feelings for, for not getting it right. But no, Alex is, he's a bit under the weather this time around. But for the past couple of weeks, I've been a traveling. I was out in, I was vacationing. I went to the beach down in South Carolina. And I didn't get around a bunch of people. It was a it was a private beach. I didn't really see anybody. I saw some jellyfish and and some water. And so it was a nice private vacation. Didn't have to worry about mingling with the masses. And then after that, I had to go to a conference for work in Denver, and there were lots of people everywhere, and it was terrible. Uh, but I did, you know, I, I wore my mask and, and walked around and, and soaked in the, uh, just the good smell and air of the of the metropolitans, you know? It's great. It's great in there, in the middle of the city, or it just smells like steamy farts and weed. It smells like weed. But yeah, so I've been I've been out and about in a way. I'm switching jobs, all this stuff. Alex is doing his whole thing. But don't worry, next episode, we're going to be back together. We're going to rejoin forces for a drunk friend episode. It won't just be a friend episode. We're getting the drunk back in. We're going to have a drunk friend episode. Now, video-wise, you know, of course, this is the drunk friend ep- the drunk friend podcast. You gotta you gotta know what the Nest Friend and the Drunk the Nest Friend and the uh, Snest Drunk have been up to. Let's start with Snest Drunk. He released uh, his Mickey Mania. The Timeless Adventures of the One and Only Mickey Mouse. Now, as you may have heard, Snestrunk recently acquired by Disney. So uh, from here on out, Alex can only produce videos and reviews of Disney games or Disney-centered games. And of course, this one featuring Mickey Mouse, Disney allowed it. Disney, of course, allowed it. Now, you're thinking, wow, that sucks, man. Snestrunk can only review Disney games? Ugh. And, I mean, let the guy coast. On his Disney money, on his mountain of Disney money, you know, let him have his wallet Disney full of money. Hasn't, doesn't he have enough videos? Did you not love Sequest? Huh? Or, or X-Zone? You love that. Well, that's in the past now. It's all Disney from here on out. I'm kidding. He didn't get acquired by Disney. Although if, if he did, that'd be great. Cause then, you know, he'd, he'd be my sugar daddy and, um, I would, Beg him for sugar, but, but yeah, he did the Mickey Mickey Mania. Good looking game, good looking game uh, for the old Super Nintendo there. Very Disneyfied. I thought animation wise, it looked really good. Looks a little bit slow. I'm a little worried about like playing it. It looks like it would be a little bit sluggish because they got to fit all the animation frames in there and make Mickey move around. But you know, Alex isn't here to tell me if it feels sluggish to play. So, and if he were here, he would say, "Yeah, no, it's fine. It's good." So, pretend that was Alex that said that. As for my part, I released a couple of videos lately. I got one on volleyball. Y'all like volleyball? You like going to the beach, bumping the ball around? Uh, I played volleyball like like high school, like gym class. I kind of liked it then, but I went to a small high school where like everyone was about as fit as me. So there was no real like threat of being murdered by volleyball because if you ever watch pros play. 
it looks dangerous. They might as well just be standing 15 feet from each other, just shooting each other with guns because those balls come at you fast and they can hurt. I've actually sat in the crowd because I had a, a niece that played volleyball and I made the mistake of like sitting down near the front and a rogue volleyball came out and like came at me and I sort of lifted my leg up to avoid taking the brunt of it in the gut and it hit my thigh and fucking hurt, man. You got to be careful with with that stuff. If you go watch a volleyball game, wear a, a whole B suit, like a whole B out, like a not a B outfit. Don't dress up like the guy from The Simpsons, but like wear like one of those protective things with the face guard so the bees can't get in. I don't know if it works against volleyballs, but I felt like I needed something about like that. Anyway, uh, where was I? Oh yeah, volleyball. There are four volleyball games on the NES and. Two of them are really good. And I think they're the kind of sports games, because they're two-on-two, and beach volleyball is a two-on-two sport naturally, so it's not like NBA Jam where they had to tweak basketball to make it from a five-on-five to a two-on-two to make it fun. Beach volleyball inherently has this, and it becomes an arcade experience. And I think it's one of those few sports games that gets it right, like is somewhat representative of the play. Obviously, it's on the NES. It's not a simulation, but... I think it transcends the sports game stigma. And a lot of games back then could, like Tecmo Super Bowl, for example. That's a that's a wonderful game. I mean, I already mentioned it being a GM. Some of those were just bigger than sports so that people that detest sports games for whatever reason um, can enjoy them. So there you go. It's, a, it's the great unifier. And I'm talking about Kings of the Beach and Super Spike V-Ball. Those are both pretty good. And then you got a game like just regular old volleyball that's really slow and uh, primitive. I mean, it was it was a black box game, so it came out uh, in the first fold there. But it's man, it's just tough, man. You're playing that game, and it's just you, first of all, you get that whistle noise, just the whatever soundbite they used that from. Like they, I don't know what they did for that sound. They didn't need it. I'll say that. I'll say you don't really need whistles in games like that. Just any tone. I'll understand that, you know, something's going on. You don't have to hit that pitch that can be generated by an NES. It kind of makes my insides sort of turn upside down. I don't think you have to go that far with the noise. Uh, But that one is one in particular where it's like, just play that shit on mute if you're going to play it at all. And I would say don't play it at all, if we're being honest with you. And then you got the, the Venice Beach volleyball. Now, hey, it's decent cover if you like bikini-clad beach ladies playing volleyball, of course. It's a great cover. Game's not great at all. Although, it does have a cute little crab. Comes out and he fetches the volleyball, and he takes it away, and that's cool maybe twice, and after that, you really want the crab to go away because you're like, man, this game's super slow. First of all, when the ball goes up in the air, it's like somebody is just like you're knocking a balloon around with helium in it and it doesn't want to come back down. Like, the physics in that game are all kinds of bonkers. But anyway, if you're out there and you're like, man, I've been just fucking wanting a volleyball game to play on my NES. Like, I have been hankering so hard for that. Kings of the Beach, Super Spike V-Ball are your best two options. Uh, also, very fun with with people, uh, with multiplayer. And I think both of those, if I'm remembering right, you can play with multi-tab. You can play up to four people. So if you, by chance, know three people and you trust them in your home these days, do it. Get it going. Play some V-ball with your with your with your crew. Get it going. Um, I also released another video this week called Image or a game called Image Fight, which I 
I, st- I don't have a great uh, theory about why it's called image fight. I don't. I think maybe you know translation wise that was like the best they could come up with. I don't think it's a great. I didn't know what it was. It doesn't scream like shoot 'em up to me. I actually would think it would be more of like a draw, like color a dinosaur, but it's you like color a dinosaur and then someone else colors a dinosaur and you fight those pictures and that would be an image fight. And that's actually, now that I'm realizing that's actually a cool idea and someone should make that game like where you just kind of draw a figure, someone else draws a figure. I think there might be games like this, uh, but yeah, that's what I thought image fight was, but it's not that it's a, it's a shoot 'em up. It was ported from the arcade. Uh, it's a pretty decent, decent port. Uh, the NES port is probably less visually appealing than the rest of them. If you want to play it on your FM Towns Marty, which I'm sure most of you own, man, there you'll just enjoy all of the backgrounds, all of the, the good sound effects and, and the colors. On the NES version, you're going to get a lot of black backgrounds, but I think you still have fun with it. I think you'll have fun with it. You know, it's uh, it's it's pretty um, laid back for a shooter, a space shooter like that. I think it's intimidating looking at it because you're like, oh, these people, this is Irem and they made uh, R-Type, so I might as well just put this down because why would I even want to try to play more than, why would I want to learn more than five minutes of it just to die a billion times? Like, why would I want to put that time in? But this one's not too bad. Like, you have five stages that are pretty doable for, I would say, the average shoot 'em up player. And then uh, there's three pretty challenging stages to finish it off with. I think you can do it. I believe in you, listener. I think you can do it. I think you can... You can enjoy that one. So Image Fight on the NES, not bad. Not bad at all. All right, so what are we going to do for the rest of this episode? Well, I don't want to read emails without Alex. That wouldn't be right. Alex loves answering the emails, and to be honest, most of the emails are for Alex, but uh, people are kind enough to include me, and that's great. I appreciate that. So let's talk a little bit about the guest today, because yes, there is a guest. It's not just going to be me doing this. Good God. Oh, I'm sorry if you thought that, too. And you, some of you probably already left thinking that's what it was. Man, those guys are missing out. So this guest that is coming up, is it's a solo interview by me. I had uh, done this about uh, just a couple weeks ago, and I was saving it because I knew with the things going on with Alex and I, we might need an interview to, to plop in an episode. Lo and behold, here it is. Here we are. This is the episode. We're going to plop it. And so coming up in this interview is uh, Amy Trowell who is my improv, I guess you could say, coach. And we get into it in the interview, but it was important to me to interview Amy for a few reasons. Uh, Number one, there's a lot of things I wanted to know, and sometimes questions are just better suited in interview form. Otherwise, it just seems like I'm creepy, you know? Like if I'm just hanging out with her after practice, I'm like, so where are you from? I guess not, you know. But here... It's like, hey, tell the audience where you're from, you know? So it's 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 a power play on my part to get the answers I want. Where are you from, woman? I just wanted to know. There's that. Like, I just had a lot of, I was curious. And secondly, uh, I think improv has changed my life. I really do think that. That's very profound. Sure. I mean, very few things can just up and change your life for the better, unless you have like an oil tycoon grandpa who who dies and <laughs> left you in the will i mean fucking jackpot there that'd be sweet or you know you're having a kid or something like that i mean yeah i'm not trying to make this like you know so crazy like it changed my life i i grew a third nipple and uh now i look I always look good in a hat i didn't used to now i'm I look fucking good in a hat it hasn't been like that 
But it's close. I mean, here's here's the deal. Uh, I think I've always had a knack for being a little bit outgoing, a little bit entertaining. I always want to be funny. I love making people laugh. It's my favorite thing. And I think I get it a lot from my dad. My parents are funny people. My dad was super funny. To the point that, you know, I lost my dad a few years ago. I've been to some family funerals since, and people have actually come up to me and been like, these funerals actually suck because your dad's gone. Because he would, he would add levity to every situation. And so uh, I, I think I get a lot of that from him. Now, I'm not doing stand-up at funerals yet. I mean, he was a vet. Uh, literally, he, he was in, in, the, in the war. But, I mean, he was just, he, was just, he just knew when to make people laugh, when, when it was appropriate. So anyway, point being, I've always had that, uh, that urge, but, uh, man, I have this little thing in the back of my head where... I'm always worried about how people will see me. And so when I'm around strangers, I tend to get real tight. I tighten it up. I bolt it down. Where'd Travis go? I don't see him. He's got his hands in his pockets and he's staring at the ground. What's going on? Is he sad? Did his dad die again? That sucks, man. I hope they have a fun funeral. But no, like, I've always, like, just I'm slow to warm up. I'll sit in the back of the room and wait until I feel comfortable. And then I might, you know, say something. So I'm I'm never one of those people that just assumes the role of of the class clown or or, or whatever. But I I have that in me. I like I I do like it. It just takes me a while to get comfortable. And so it took me until I was 36 to even have the balls to try to do anything theatrical. And I reached out to Amy and uh, I looked up online like improv stuff. And she was there and I said, hey, look, I don't know what I want to do, but I think you could help me figure it out. And we met up and it was great. And so what I like about that is... Uh, it really, it, this has helped me break down that, um, I guess that fear of, of how you're seen, like, uh, just, uh, uh, the, the improv space is great because it gives you an area to be silly. You can be a kid, you can, you can, everyone's going to play along and that's important because you don't always get that out in the world. Like even with your friends and it's not always set up like that right so this is it becomes really fun it becomes really addictive you get laughs you got you're i'm around a lot of funny people all the time so it's it's really changed my life for the better in a lot of a lot of ways and that's why i want amy or why i wanted amy uh, on this podcast to talk to to me about this and answer a few questions because i think it could be really helpful for you out there if you if you're on the fence about joining any community i know like all of us specifically people that listen to this are, are probably very ingrained with online communities, whether it be Discord or YouTube or whatever message board you still go on to rant about politics or what Reddit, whatever. But I mean like actual physical space communities, which is not a great time right now to do, by the way. Just don't do it right now until you've until you're whatever you're ready. But uh, just in general, whether it be any social structure, like, you know, maybe it's a group therapy session or an AA meeting or whatever, like for me, that was a hard thing to do was just get through the door and be like, all right, oh, oh there's all these people in here probably going to judge me for being weird, liking the funny. But no, I went to a, whole, a room full of these fucking people and they're great. It's hilarious and they're very supportive. So uh, if anything uh, from this, I hope you take that. Um, sometimes it's good to take a chance like that. It could make it positively change your life. Don't be afraid to do it. It's just one time. Go try it out. If you don't like it, fuck it. If you do, hey, man, maybe you found yourself a new hobby. You found something that's fulfilling, something you can look forward to. And also, now that I'm doing this improv thing, that's something that my friends and my family look forward to. They're like, when are you going to perform? I'm like, I don't know if you forgot there's a pandemic. But after that, we're going to be out there. We're going to be making the yucks on stage somewhere. And uh, it's going to be great. And I can't wait for it. And um, and so those are some important reasons why I wanted to, to talk to Amy, and I think she would fit well on this podcast because hopefully she can inspire you 
to do something that you want to do, maybe even improv. So, without further ado, Amy Trowell. Hi, this is Michelle from PD's Power Hour, a podcast where you can find cool gaming content creators and or gaming enthusiasts discuss all things alcohol. Check it out if you're interested in learning more about what's in your glass and the process that got it there. Available everywhere podcasts are heard and on polymedianetwork.com. Drink well, my friends. Bye. Today, I'm joined by a special guest, my friend, Amy. And I only consider someone a friend when they let me drag them in front of a microphone and let me record a conversation with them. So thank you so much, Amy, for coming on the show and answering a few questions. I really appreciate it. Goodness, if I had known that was the criteria, I would have uh, let you do this a long time ago. (laughs) Yeah, I, you know, I usually I warm up to it and uh, it it seems like we're we're ahead of schedule in friendship. I've already gotten you in front of the microphone and and eager to to record a full conversation. So this is great. So uh, you're here because I met you through I one time I got bored in a waiting room. I was getting my (laughs) eyes checked. And something hit me and I was like, you know what I want to do is improv. I don't know why it hit me. I remember the exact room I was in. I was like, I want to do that. Do they even do an improv around here? I didn't even say it right. I said an improv, like an idiot. Do they do an improv around here? And I Googled (laughs) an improv and Google was like, do you just mean improv, idiot? I was like, yeah, sure. And it uh, it brought up your face in a website with your name attached to it. And I said, I'm going to email this person. And I did. And uh, you emailed back and and. I went to some classes and it's been great. So you're my improv person. So maybe share with folks what you do. (laughs) That's it. I made a website and I had no idea anyone would ever look me up. So no, you know, what's funny. That website, I'm not even sure what website you might've found. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, AmyTrowell.net.com. No, it was, uh, I think it might've been just theater three or something. Yeah. Great. Yes. Um, so what do I do? That's such a good question. Um, I'm still not, I haven't fully decided what I'll be when I grow up uh, and whenever that might be. So in the meantime, I I guess I'll, maybe I'll start with how I got into improv. Is Mm. that, does that help you? Kick it off. Yeah. Here's my little improv journey in a short nutshell and we can go and hit, hit any of these highlights later if, if they seem meaningful or important. So I I, um, got a theater degree uh, many years ago. I won't say how many uh, at the College of Charleston in Charleston, South Carolina. And uh, it was in performance. It was theater performance. But I immediately discovered that I could get a lot more work being a stage manager, which took me to uh, the great state of Florida. Oh, uh, moving on down, they say, from South Carolina. They say, we're moving on down. (laughs) Well, in South Carolina, everywhere's up. So (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. South Carolina's (laughs) lovely. Um, So I uh, moved to Florida. I'm going to cough. That's not COVID. Probably. Um, That's a tortilla chip. I had a tortilla chip before our interview. Um, Just just the one. That's that's how I say slim. I eat one chip in the evening just to hold me over to the next morning. Uh, so moved down to Florida State. I worked in the Department of Dance, decided I wasn't really loving it. And I was like, I, I really want to get back into improv. Uh, I moved to Atlanta, which is where I kind of always wanted to go. Wasn't a New York City girl. It wasn't a Chicago girl. But I felt like Atlanta was big enough where I could find some theater, 
but not so big that I get lost. And I mean that literally, I'm very bad at directions. <laughs> so once I arrived in Atlanta, I got a gig at the Jewish Theater of the South um, as an assistant stage manager. And in that production, there was an improviser or one of the actors was uh, also ran a little um, improv company called Dad's Garage in Atlanta. And it, it was $100 for that class. I remember it well, because that was a time in my life when I was like, how will I come up with 100 extra dollars? Um, oh, but yeah. I did. Yeah. So I scraped it together. I took the class and I was like, this, this is it. Like I, I've always enjoyed being funny since I was very little. So Flash forward, I kind of, uh, I, I took some other classes. I did some improv there in Atlanta a little bit for a while. And I met uh, the man that was going to be my first husband and had kids and, you know, life went on like that. So um, life changed abruptly at a certain point. We can uh, get into the dirty details at some point, but um, <laughs> we'll just say for the, the short story is that things changed. And I was kind of left with, um, I was suddenly a single mom and uh, I had a theater degree with women's studies attached to that as well. So not a lot of hard skills. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll maybe give this, this improv thing a go. And that's, I started teaching improv classes with no, wondering, you know, if anybody would find my website and come take classes. And so now yeah. I teach improv uh, at the theater. I teach improv actually at Hollins University uh, to freshmen. Um, I just finished making a short film. Uh, I oh. do some playwriting, which is also influenced by my improv. Um, and I'm opening a pay what you can cafe. So I, I never, ever, ever sleep. And I just have time for that one tortilla chip. So yeah. Yes, that is that is a, an empowering and uh, somewhat sad story toward the end there about the one chip, <laughs> but mostly a good story. Uh, and yeah, so this is, I mean, again, for the audience, I, I consider Amy a friend, but we I don't know a ton about her history and her background. So that was uh, good. And I know there's more so that we can we can get to that in a minute. Yeah. But uh, real quick, maybe we jump into what is improv? Uh, what really defines improvisation as a performance art? Yeah, so there's lots of different kinds of improvisation. The kind of improvisation that I'm focused most on is improvisational comedy. Um, and so we do, uh, so basically improv in short is making it up on the spot. So this conversation is improvisational for the most part. So we're making it up as we go around. It's unscripted. So for improvisational comedy, uh, generally you get two people, they step out on stage with no props, no costume, no script, and no idea about what's going to happen next. We have some rules that kind of help us along, make those scenes more watchable, but otherwise it just kind of goes where it goes, which is what I really enjoy about it. And, and is that, cause I was going to ask like what triggered your, your initial love for, for it, because it is terrifying uh to anyone who <laughs> you know i mean maybe from an outsider's perspective looking in if you've never actually tried it and you see people get up on stage and do this and then you learn later you're like oh they made all of that up that's horrifying i could never do that <laughs> so what what was it about this uh this thing that you tried that really hooked you in aside from maybe you saw it and you said wow this is funny and i'm funny but you can also write down funny and do funny later you don't have to do it in the moment so what was it specifically about improv that hooked you 
Yeah, I think it is kind of the free fall. I think the thing that's, you know, I've been in a lot of very funny plays, um, but I think there's something really uh, unique and interesting about something that's incredibly funny in the moment that that occurs organically, that's unplanned, that I, I've, I've seen funnier things occur in improvisation, even in our rehearsals, than I've ever seen on any screen. And there, you just can't recapture it. I'm also really bad at remembering things, that which you might know. Um, so scripted, <laughs> scripted comedies were hard. And also, I'll tell you, as a woman who's funny, like, so when I was in my 20s, and actually really early in my life, and I see this not of any like self-deprecation, like I got the idea pretty quickly that that ladies were supposed to be pretty or or else. Mm. Um, and I wasn't. I was I, I was a quirky, kind of funny looking kid. So being funny was kind of what made me charming. And then as an actress, there just weren't many parts for me. Like there's, I was a character actress, um, which are there. You're never the love interest. You're always the fun friend or the whatever your puck. You're never Titania in other words. <laughs> so, um, which is great. And I love doing that, but you can only be, you know, side characters for so much in improv. I could be the main character. And I think that was really appealing to me as well. That's, that's a fascinating point. And I wonder too how many people um, that have that mindset growing up, whether, you know, boy or girl, male or female or or whatever, Mm -hmm. growing up um, using humor as their, their hook for their entire existence. I I feel like that might be a common trait among a lot of the people I meet on Monday nights uh, with you. (laughs) I think so for various reasons. Uh, And many of them are charming and lovely in in their own ways as well. But I, I do think it fills I don't want to say a gap. I'm not one of those, like, I'm, you know, I'm a, a laugh on the outside, broken on the inside comedian. That's sure. certainly not it. But I think you work harder for humor if you don't have those other things to lean on. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think you have to have some life experiences to pull from uh, mm-hmm. to be any type of performer and uh, maybe a special mix to be a funny one. So that's interesting. Uh, so for maybe some people, because this is typically a video game audience, what are some ways that, or what are some things that you can point to that have improv that people can, that most people are aware of or could be aware of? So do you mean like things that use improvisation? Is that what Yeah. I mean, of course uh, there's, there's the who's lines. Who's line. Yeah. That's the, that's the big one that people point to. Are there others that you can point to? Because I don't think there's that many popular improv you know, stage shows, I know that, uh, you know, you have your Christopher Guest uh, documentaries and you have your maybe Reno 911s out there, but um, I just think it's not very common. So I was wondering if you can point to some other. It's not. And I, I, so I, I, and I can talk more that we, I did just finish making a little short film recently. And this is the thing, you know, the thing about film that I discovered. And so I've made one film and now I'm an expert, by the way. Listen at you. Yeah. Let me pull up your IMDB real quick. (laughs) I do have one. I totally have one. Yeah. Uh, This is not on it yet because we just got the final cut literally like an hour before we got on tonight. But oh, cool. You you know, my experience with film, uh, limited though it may be, 
Um, you know, it's a lot about getting the moment exactly right. Like you've got all this great editing and lighting and you can control so many elements of what's going on um, and script and you've got these brilliant writers. And um, so I think filmed improvisation, whether that even be on TV is like, it just isn't the same. And I really think for improvisation, like the the joy is being in the room with improvisers. That's where the real energy is, which is what's made the last, like, I don't know, whatever, 27,000 months. Uh, so difficult is you don't get that in the room energy. So TJ and Dave um, are kind of their big names in, in improvisation. And they, um, you might know one of them, and I can never remember which one is on the subway commercials. It's kind of a, a uh, mild-mannered looking white guy. Anyway, they do they're they're often held as the sort of high like best improvisers there in Ch- or they were in Chicago. I actually don't know if they still are. Um Middle Ditch and Schwartz actually did a oh, yeah. Netflix. So that's all improvisation and I that's don't right. think they edit it. Um so I think that's a better example of uh what we call long form improv so it's more a narrative they just kind of get an idea they get on stage and they just kind of go and there's just the two of them uh Tina Fey of course uh she and Amy Poehler um oh I think it's called is it called Ask Cat Yeah Ask with Hat. like several S's yeah 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 so they there's some of those on YouTube which mm-hmm. are, are really good. they're they're performing them live. So you can see those. That's great. There's lots of podcasts about improv, improv nerd, Jimmy Corain, one of my most favorite improvisers, uh, does a great, uh, podcast and you know, they don't, they don't, they may do a little improv, but they mostly, he talks to improvisers about what inspires them. And there's the improv resource center, which I don't think makes a podcast anymore, but they make great podcasts. Um, I, I wish I had written down more, but no, it's all good. I, there was one that yeah. you pointed me to when we first met with um, uh, improv for humans with Matt Besser. And that one's fun. Yes. That's a fun listen. Yeah. 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 And they do actual improv mm-hmm. as part of that. So that's great to listen to. Yeah. So great. Yeah. So there's, there's definitely places out there. And of course, whose line I think is the most household recognizable brand for, sure. for improv. And uh, that's what I sort of grew up watching and learned that this is what improv is. And this is why, you know, Wayne Brady is on a whole different plane and the rest of us don't even really need to even try, nope. et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but you you teach improv, not just to people who want to learn improv, though. That I think that's what's interesting about the art is that it's I think it uh, teaches and utilizes a lot of skills that people just need to use in society and don't um, or can't or don't know that they don't know how. So <laughs> why is improv important for someone like Deborah in accounting or, or Merle as lead cook? Like how how does improv teach people skills that they wouldn't use in their everyday well, somebody, I'm not the first person to think of this, but somebody somewhere a couple of decades ago recognized somebody who was improvising was like, wait a minute, the same things that make me a good improviser also make me a great mom or make me a great chef or a great accountant. Um, and then they started teaching that as a, as a, as a set of courses or a curriculum. And so some of those things are like, so when you are, out there, free falling, reaching around back to see if you've got a parachute. 
Um, first thing is you're working together with somebody else. So you're collaborating. So you can kind of relax because you're there with somebody else. And then in order to know what's going on, you really have to be an active listener. Like I have to understand, I have to hear what you say and then add to it. Um, so, so you're not just getting an idea, but you're expanding an idea. That's part of the, the beauty of improv is, and then somebody takes your idea and they expand it. So you get uh, active listening, collaboration, and how to build on ideas. And the really basic principle of improvisation, which we always start with is yes and. So we always say you accept the offer. So I think so much of grown-up adult life is saying, no, don't do that. No, we can't. We don't have the budget. We don't have the time. The kids will never go for it. Roger in the accounting will say no. Just by saying, take, hearing an idea and saying yes, it changes the dynamic. It doesn't mean you're going to follow every idea through, but it means you're going to figure out, well, what happens if we do accept the offer? Same on stage. If you come out and, and uh, maybe suggest something that's totally outlandish, if I say yes, we can figure out where that goes from there. But if I say no, the scene is over or right. the scene has to like restart. So that's, you know, those are the skills that we're really hoping that, you know, you're a better uh, in your interpersonal relationships when you're a good listener and when you support your partner. One of the other tenets of improvisation is called making your partner look good. Can you imagine if every relationship was like <laughs> always about mutually making each other look good? Like that's right. what you want, right? Yeah. Whether that's business or friends or new improv buddies, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, well, there are plenty of invaluable skills there. And I, while they, the ones you listed seem few, they are really hard to juggle as a beginner. I'm finding because I'm like, all right, I got a gift. Oh, I was I wasn't even listening because I was thinking about my gift. Oh, I stopped listening because I just remembered I wasn't listening. So there's a lot of things to juggle, but I think it's becoming more and more natural. But I will say that one of the things that I know that I've taken away from uh, maybe just being around you for the last couple of years, and I've podcasted for forever. And so you would think that guy's probably really good at listening because he has to just talk to people and all that. But I'm always it's it's a bit of a trap because as an interviewer, most of the time, I kind of have my head in, okay, so when they're done talking, I'm going to move to uh, this other question I had written down. And then I learned and I would listen back and be like, I didn't hear a thing they said. They mm -hmm. answered my question. And then I just took it to some non sequitur. And uh, when I listened <laughs> back to that, it was kind of painful. So I've picked up on uh, a listening skill that I didn't really know that I even needed. It was just, yeah. all right, just hear the person all the way through because you're not going to forget the thing you wrote down. Quit looking at it. Just listen to what they're saying. <laughs> well, I think we have such an urgency to get to the next thing mm -hmm. that we, uh, we, we aren't in the moment. And in improv, it certainly happens that you're like, oh, man, I got this awesome line. I'm ready to lay on the audience and it's going to be hilarious. So you're violating so many rules of improv, like, it's not about you, first of all. It's not about <laughs> lines. It's not about going for the laugh. Like mm -hmm. the laughs are glorious gifts. They are manna of the gods. But when you are gifted the laugh of the audience because of something that came organically out of the scene, it's that's what you're really going for. There's that. There's a real difference. So yeah, 
a lot of people are not as good at listening as they wish they were or think they are. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that was, that's been a, a bit of a hard lesson to learn. And I think a lot of that comes from just being an anxious person a lot of the time and wanting to be mm-hmm. prepared and realizing that you, you're only anxious because you're thinking that's the devil. You know, if you quit thinking for a minute and just do, <laughs> then you're not anxious, you're doing. So I've, I've picked up on that quite a bit and it's been very helpful. And, uh, even, in, even in classes too, with you, where I've gone through a scene and maybe it didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. And then I go off on the sidelines and I'm like, gosh, I should have said, or maybe mm. I should have done, or I wished I had, and I'm not listening to what's happening in the moment. Uh, again, so I've learned to mm-hmm. to drop the uh, the after, um, I guess, uh, melancholiness that comes from from whatever scene, or even maybe after a scene, I'm super excited and I'm still dwelling on it. Um, there's time for that later, and to to be in the moment, and uh, and that's those are invaluable skills that I can I can take with me beyond class. Great, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Rachel Mason says she and. Um, Oh, and I can't think of uh, Susan Messing, uh, who they are both brilliant improvisers and they have a show and probably you could find it somewhere on YouTube. But um, she, the two of them don't critique their shows afterwards. Like they don't do that. Like, hey, how did that first scene go? And, uh, you know, that exactly the things you're talking about, like it just is. And there's mm-hmm. nothing you can really do about like you can't undo that moment. You know, we want to get better and we say in improv there are no mistakes that you know it just is whatever whatever occurs but there are better and worse choices Mm -hmm. so you want to start making more and more better choices and the more you practice it just like basketball or i assume violin or whatever you just work those muscles until it becomes not it comes naturally because it's too many things to to think of all at once otherwise it's a lot that's and that's a really good point. I'm learning that too. So learning lots, and it's been a lot of fun. Uh, one thing that I think is interesting is I've always seen improv as comedic, but does it always have to be funny? It does not. Uh, um, and of course, there's like lot, there's other forms of improvisation, so musical improvisation, for example, or spoken word is sometimes improvisational. Um, but even we. We do a, 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 a game called Serious Scene, and it is, it's meant to be a quote, like a dramatic scene, but basically everything's based in a mundane um, or sad even, and you just play a scene. Now, I'll tell you, there's often humor because so many of us are also like coping through humor, um, mm-hmm. that humor emerges from those situations. That's very, again, this sort of authentic humor. So, but yeah, people improv, uh, Shakespeare and, uh, I think people just enjoy the comedy. Yes. It's, it's lighter hearted. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But yeah, do it all. Fair enough. So, we got into a little bit of your history. We know you you grew up, you were a funny kid and that you that got you into <laughs> performing and, and you, you went down this big road. Uh, but somehow that road ended up to where you were able to study improvisation at Second City. Mm-hmm. And maybe it would be good for you to make listeners aware of how important Second City is to improv and then perhaps fill us in on what studied improvisation at Second City entails. <laughs> Did you just yeah. sit outside and, and high five them as they came in in the morning and you counted that or how does that work? 
I assure you that my use of that phrase is pretty generous, but uh, <laughs> um, so Second City, so Chicago, of course, got the name Second City after New York. So New York is the first city and Chicago is the second city. So lots of plays and music and everything, you know, they got everything second. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this, and this is one story of improvisation, and this is one story of improvisation in America, which um, isn't the whole story of improvisation. Of course, there's Commedia a long, long time ago were stock characters. They were making those up. They had kind of scripts in the sense that there were scenarios that they used, but they didn't always script every word. Um, and I'm sure cave people at some point, you know, Og and Grog got mm-hmm. their, you know, the characters they liked playing, but sort of the birth of American uh, improvisation occurred in Chicago. Del Close uh, was kind of the godfather, daddy, baby daddy of, of <laughs> improvisation. Um, and he was in Chicago and he started eventually um, Second City kind of grew out of a lot of uh, different people. Viola Spolin also um, she was an immigrant who came to Chicago and she had a son named Paul Sills and Paul Sills, uh, did some work at, at second city, but basically all the people that you, so, so your early Saturday Night live folks, so Chevy Chase and John Belushi and Gilda Radner and Steve Martin, all these folks. Um, actually, I'm not sure if Steve Martin came through second city. Anyway, a lot of those funny people started at Second City and then went on to kind of do sketch. So um, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, like, and it continues on and all that they're, they're really like, and there's more, there are more and more improv schools as time has gone on. And um, so uh, Upright Citizens Brigade is another Mm -hmm. one uh, that has come out of that, but that's kind of the Mecca. So Second City is kind of like, if, if I could do my career all over again, I would go there in my, you know, when I was 19 and spunky and, um, right. But what because I, that alumni, I mean, we, we touched on some of them, but it is such a, uh, it's such a list of, yeah. of people. I mean, you know, you mentioned, I think you said John Belushi, but you know, there's Dan Aykroyd and yep. uh, Eugene Levy and yep. John Candy and Bill Murray. And I mean, the list goes on and on uh, all the way down to, um, I was trying to, I was scrolling really fast to see if I could see the most recent name I could recognize. Uh, yeah. and I don't know any of the newer people, but yeah, there's a lot of people that, you know, for sure. Well, and so what's her, um, Oh, her, I think her name is her first name is Aubrey, but she was on parks and rec, uh, and she's the grumpy cat. Well, and she might have not been second. It doesn't matter. I'm now. I'm going to ramble. Don't make me ramble. Don't make me ramble. It's not your fault. I'm not going to edit any of this. I'm sorry. (laughs) You're stuck with. Um, So Second City. So, but they, uh, and probably as early as all that, they started teaching classes and um, learn pretty quickly. So a lot of actors, whether they continue on as improvisers or not, take classes in improvisation because it helps you build characters and, you know, it teaches you, of course, connection. So these are great skills for uh, sort of straight play actors as well. But um, 
uh, Second City is <laughs> a place that you can go and take classes is what I'm yes. telling you. Yep. Um, so anybody can. So you just hmm. go online or you get on the, wherever you uh, find your internet things and you say, I want to enroll in a class and you pay them however many hundreds of dollars and you go and take a class. Um, so uh, myself and two fellow improvisers, they have these weekend intensives uh, so we flew to Chicago. We, I think it was sort of a Thursday to Saturday or Sunday. It was like four days. Hmm. So we took took a class basically in improvisation. Now, over the pandemic, I will t- tell you that this was a great gift of the pandemic. All those classes went online. So uh, Rachel Mason taught that class, but she also t- teaches at other places. And um I was able to take classes with her and Jamie Corain, which I was so mm-hmm. nervous to take a class with Jamie, but I took a couple with him. Um, so that was great. And I don't know that we'll ever have that chance again. Cause of course there's, you know, plenty of people in Chicago willing to toss out $500 and go take a class. So, but yeah. it's well worth it. If you have 500 extra dollars, do that. Good. I mean, I mean, it's it's really good to even have the connection. Like you're two degrees away somehow from somebody great at all times there, which is true. Kind of nice, yeah. right? I did yeah. get to go. Uh, I visited Chicago in 2018, I believe, and I got to go on a tour of Second City with some friends, and it was really oh, fantastic. Man. And it felt like hallowed ground, and uh, we got to go through the city and get all kinds of stories about. Uh, where John Belushi threw up and yeah. uh, where Dan Aykroyd had to rest. I mean, you get all the, all the nice nitty gritty details of that, but it's still, <laughs> it's kind of fun. It's, it's a, it's American history and it's fun comedic history. And I enjoy that quite a bit. So, absolutely. Um, so that's great. So you got to do some second city stuff, which is awesome. And now you do a little bit of teaching of your own. Um, so per my extensive Googling, <laughs> I, I, and and you also mentioned it earlier, but um, you're teaching performing the unknown improvisation for the stage and beyond. And you said to freshmen at Hollins University, how's that going? You know, I, I really of anything I've done, I love teaching improv more than almost anything. And I'll like many things that I've done. I had very little idea when I started if I could do it. Um, but the first years at Hollins, I, they're so they're at such a a sweet, impressionable, joyful, energetic, ready to take the risk for the most part. Not every single one of them, but they just want to do well, and so they're and they're so delightful and funny and surprisingly funny. I just adore it. I think it's great. I, I really enjoy teaching there. That's good. So there's a lot of interest, it seems like, a lot of young folks really wanting to get into that. I think so. They all have to take one of these first-year seminars. <laughs> you got them. Nice. I got them. That's right. Go anywhere. Well, how does, because you're teaching college kids who, I guess, uh, are paying a lot to be there, whether they realize their parents are or not, but they're there. <laughs> right. And then you have people like me who saunter into your theater three and we know it's going to be a couple hundred bucks. We don't know what we're getting into. We know it's going to be like a community <laughs> thing. You know, you're not really sure what you're going to get. You're probably not going to get college students. You can roll those people out. Uh, what's the biggest difference between teaching your, your college age kids and then just, uh, you know, the old schlobs like me that wander in? 
I think there is, you know, there are various ages and these are all generalization, but there are various ages. I think we all in stages we go through where we are more and less willing to take risks and to look foolish. And I think a lot of folks who come into my classes now are often looking to either recapture or uncover for the first time um, something that, and I don't want to call it childlike, but that, that ability to, to play and let go and not be so concerned all the time that you're going to say, like, I got to know the next thing. I'm going to say all the time because it is very playful and, but it's risky. That's risky. As you said, so to your thought about doing interviews, like you're trying to keep the interview going. So you're really focused on keeping the structure. Um, but what happens if you just didn't, right? I mean, you might hear me meandering about around about the time that one of my students took his pants off, which oh I think you might have. I think you were there for that, though. I thought that was your class, maybe. Uh, yes, yes. And you screamed at him to stop. I was actually going to bring some of that up later, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I won't say any more of a thing about it now, but, <laughs> you know, I think, I think adults are, the, they're, they're a little harder to crack out of their shell. Mm -hmm. Like my, my first year college students, like some of them are reluctant, some of them are slow, but man, boy, I love watching them blossom. And they do like, they, and there's a couple that come in, they're like, I'm ready to sing and I will do whatever. <laughs> um, but I think uh, adults are a little more like the things you're saying, like, what's this going to be like? What am I getting into? What is this going to be? What do, what do I look like? Do I look foolish? I should put my hands down. Um so I think that's the biggest difference. Yeah, I can a a attest to that 100%. I think for me, it was different because I don't have any performance history other than, you know, I, I can be around a group of people that I've really warmed up to and it maybe it's taken years. You know, it could have mm -hmm. taken years. It could be work people that they're like, man, you've worked here for five years and I'm just now learning you're cool kind of thing because <laughs> I'm very slow to warm up to people. I don't yeah. let the personality out because again, I, I really care about how I'm seen and around certain mm -hmm. people, I want to look like uh, a scientist and around other people, I want to be hilarious and not all the time do those converge. And so um, I think when I wanted to do this, I really wanted to to because I like I know I'm capable of of getting laughs whether that applies to improv or not no idea I had no idea still don't but uh, I was worried that will I be able to open up around people that I don't know and do this mm -hmm. and I was actually quite lucky that the very first time that I showed up I was the only person which was <laughs> would be maybe a disappointment to some folks but I was very thankful because I'm like I'm going to corner this woman that knows so much about this. And just ask her a ton of questions because that's exactly what I needed was just, I got to know what's going on here because I really want to do it, but I'm not sure if I really want to do it. And so uh, I think even in the the uh, practices that I've attended for you over the last couple of months, I think a lot of just warming up to people is is huge. And I think for mm -hmm. a lot of folks that maybe like me that saunter into your class a little bit timid uh, are really looking for, you know, are these people I can open up around? Are these, uh, is this the the environment where I can practice being who I really want to be without any judgment. So yeah, it's, it's a good, good environment for that. I think a lot of what I hear, like, I think adults are looking for, am I safe here? Mm -hmm. And I think we tend to play it safe as adults so much. So we don't put ourselves in spaces. 
like we're we're avoiding risky situations for the most part. So uh, improv is not safe in that way. Like it is. And mm-hmm. what we learn is that that we build all these little structures that that we think keep us safe, but they really just keep us stagnant. Yes. And and I think when you get a little taste of what it feels like to be safe but creative, then you're like. I want more of that. Like, how do I create, how do I keep creating that in other aspects of my life? Yes. Yes. It's, uh, it could be quite addictive once you get a taste of what it, <laughs> yes, what it, it feels is. like. Uh, so through your teaching, what do you find is the most difficult thing for new improvisers to learn? I will tell you that I, I don't know if this is the difficult. Yes. It, this is the most difficult thing to learn. I think it's the question I get the most from my college students, which is, how do you come up with something to say? And it's, it's not that it's the stopping worrying about how do you come up with something to say? Because I say to them over and over again, we're going to practice the skills. And that is not because that's not your big worry. I think as you're, if you're new to improv, that's the thing. Like you're mm-hmm. like, uh, uh, I, uh, I can't think of anything. Like, oh, uh, I got no more emotions left. I, I don't know what a cat is anymore. Like, <laughs> how am I going to say anything at all? But it's, you know, you let that go and you just, you know, you, you do all the other things. And, and that's, so I think getting people past the idea that they've got to be clever, they've got to be funny, they've got to be smart, even, uh, they got, they are all those things. But you don't do those things by like, you can't plan that out. That's the whole point is that I'm looking for what happens when you stop planning. Yes. But it's hard because we want to plan. I, I plan, like if I have to do a hard conversation, I plan that hard conversation. Oh, yeah. So even as an improviser, <laughs> I like to know what the rules are. Like, But more generally, if you can get past that, I think that's the hardest part. Yeah, I mean, I think we want our, you know, our sheriffs that show up in the night to give us bad news or our surgeons to really rehearse some of those lines. Yes. But the rest of us can get by by our bootstraps. And I think uh, that's a really good point, because even the first couple of classes that I went to and and maybe even some of the practices recently, I uh, in the car on the way there, I was like, all right, I got five funny things I'm going to use today. (laughs) Just have in my back pocket. But then the thing is, when when I show up and I get there, those things are gone. Those things yeah. left my brain. As soon as I walked in the door, they were like, dude, I'm out. I'm scared. And I'm just left to just come up with it. And the thing is, I always have. Something has always come out of my mouth. There's not been one yeah. time where I was like, Amy, can we can we put a hold on this for a second while I think up a few nouns? <laughs> We've never had to do that. Well, and so even, uh, so I tell my students, number one, if you can't think of anything to say, don't say anything. Stand there. Stand there. You've got a partner. You're you're not doing this alone. You've got somebody else with you. Maybe they'll say something or maybe they won't, but something's going to start to happen. You get two people standing silently, especially with a room full of people watching them. Something's about to happen, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's tension building. That's a scene in itself. Who's going to talk first and what are they going to say at that point? Yeah. Yeah. I'm learning all kinds of cool stuff. Well, conversely, what and maybe it's the same answer, but what do you find is the most difficult thing to teach? Um, probably, I feel like it's a cop out now to say the same thing, but I think the relaxing, you know, when you tell people to like calm down, 
Like you can't tell anybody to calm down, right? Maybe this is it then. More about the patience of improvisation. Like I think because we see people doing improv and we know they're making it up and it looks easy, right? Because they're, we, we do it sort of uh, without thinking about it because we've been doing it a long time for the most part. And we do practice. We are working. We're not working hard, but we've been working long. So people who are funny or outgoing, they, they think I'm going to be great at this. And then it's hard. Like you realize that you're funny, but you, you're never listening. You got a ton of funny lines, but you're now collaborating with somebody else. So then you're like, well, I must, I just can't do this. I don't think there's anything else we would do for a day or two or a time or two and say, well, I'm just no good at this. Like, if, you know, I, I think I've used the analogy before. I tried to play the guitar. And mm-hmm. if you've ever played a stringed instrument, the first couple of times you play, it hurts and you sound terrible. <laughs> and I, and it, you know, you don't make beautiful music. I wanted, I love, Ani DeFranco is one of my favorite singers. And I wanted to pick up a guitar and play music like Ani DeFranco, like, I don't know, maybe a week. <laughs> I, I would, I was willing to give it seven days. Yeah. But, but but of course it didn't happen. And what you realize is, oh, I'm going to have to practice scales. I'm going to have to play my chords. I'm going to have to build up calluses on my skin. Like this is just going to take time. And you sort of decide, do I have the time to give to this or not? But with improv, we try it once and we're like, ah, I, I blew it. And maybe it's because you don't want to look foolish the second time. But I think people like are quick to let it go. If you really want to do it, you got to push through until you start to get some calluses. Yeah. You actually uh, reminded me of something that was that you did that was very helpful for me, which was a lot of what you just said. But I did hit uh, a point uh, pretty early on when I was interacting with folks that were really good at improv. And that was when I learned what I didn't know. So there was a point where I was like, I'm, I'm going up and down some hills and we're good. And then, oh, there's a mountain. No mm-hmm. one said there'd be a mountain. And I was like, Amy, I don't know, man. I think uh, I'm, I, you know, I wasn't giving up, but I was like, I might need some handholding or something. I'm a little worried <laughs> about this, but you sent the nicest email telling me a lot of this stuff. You basically were like, congratulations for hitting your first mountain. And uh, you're just, you're just in time and you'll get through it. And it was extremely helpful. And uh, since then, I feel like, I crossed a mini threshold in terms of uh, just like a mental barrier that was like, well, there you go worrying about things again. And what has improv taught you so far? Stop doing that. You're fine. So it really is just unlocking things you're already capable of. That's 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 my theory. All babies are born with just an amazing Wayne Brady improv power. Everybody's a Stephen Colbert when they're born and then they start building walls around themselves until they become adults and then they, they die sad. it's it's kind of true honestly like i think people find other things that that speak to them the same way improv speaks to you and i you know it might be painting or whatever but i i think improvisers like in fact i'm looking at this hideous painting that i did that's right behind my computer it's fine like i'm just not a painter but i like painting so i just keep painting and i'm a little bit like improv like each time i learn like oh you know i gotta draw i gotta take more time with this because i'm Mm -hmm. not learning but um oh gosh wow i have no idea where i was going with that that little story um well you like to paint and sometimes it's bad and 
That's great. And <laughs> we want to be good at things right away. And so mm. you're a really smart person. And I think that sometimes it's really hard for people who are good at one thing to not be able to just pick this thing up. Like, I'm a smart guy. Why can't I just do this thing? Like, how hard could it be? I'm just pretending to be a cowboy. Like, <laughs> but I want to, and, and I certainly want to compliment you. I can, I can see that moment when you stopped worrying and just started playing, like you really started growing as an improviser like that. And that's sometimes that takes a lot, lot longer. Like people still want to like get back to that, like safe space again, like, Oh, but I feel like I'm out here without a parachute. Like, no, we got you. And that's hard with strangers too. Like we got you. Yeah. Do you, I don't know who you are. You didn't remember <laughs> my name for six months. You kept calling me Kevin. <laughs> It's true. I mean, I, and that's a, a thing about, um, and I keep alluding to this. I'll just say to folks that I took your classes for off and on for maybe over the course of a year, a year and a half. And mm -hmm. then uh, lately I've been practicing with your, your comedy troupe, which are highly skilled people. And they're, they're all wonderfully impressive and uh, amazing. And there obviously is a bit of imposter syndrome when you walk into any room with, uh, well, with any new group of people that are good at anything, much less people as skilled as these. And so uh, that was a new opportunity to to shut down and, and basically rebuild again, because I was like, I have no idea what's going on. And so you do learn, though, that uh, it's a team effort and uh, they do got you because that's what they do. <laughs> that's all they yeah. do is got you. So, uh, it was, it was reassuring after some time to be like, Oh, literally nothing can go wrong as long as I don't fall over and throw up. Well, even then we'll figure something out. <laughs> it could still be funny. You're right. It's a good group. Um, so in, and to that point, you do teach a lot of beginners and we, we alluded to schlubs like me that just walk in off the street and say, Hey, uh, I, I'm a nerdy science person. Uh, I don't laugh often in my day to day, but I'd like you to change my life. And then there, it's all on you to do that. Um, but you get all, all all walks of life. And we alluded a minute ago to a, to a gentleman who, who was about to take a scene just a little too far. And he also admitted that he was in a cult in the 70s. And, uh, uh -huh. you know, and yep. I'm sure you get a lot of interesting folks like that. How how do you deal with that, that unexpected uh, what's, what's walking in here and where is their brain going to take them in this free space that I've given them? Well... You know, thankfully, I've, you know, I guess I've probably been teaching for about six years, which is makes me a pretty, pretty new at, mm. at teaching, but I have like, you know, you build, you learn things. And I do a lot more um, sort of work up front. And we do talk a lot about safety because I do, you know, you want to create a space where people do feel sort of open and free to do a lot of things. But not everything, <laughs> because sometimes the thing that makes you feel really free makes me feel really scared. So yes. we have to. I I try to particularly and teaching uh, college students has been helpful for this as well because you really have to do that work with them. You know, it's really important and setting up the idea of a safe space and what does that mean for this group? Because lots of groups are different and there's large variations between what people will accept. Um, and you never know just on that, a, a, a part of that topic, like you never know what people's upbringings are like, what their experiences with being racist or experiencing racism or sexism or homophobia. 
So we kind of just make a blanket statement in the beginning that, you know, we're not going to be racist. And what does that mean? We're not going to be homophobic. And what does that mean? And aren't going to be sexist. And what does that mean? And if it happens, because we're making things up on the spot and we live in a society where these things happen, what are we going to do about it? Like, we're going to talk about it. And and people who feel really uncomfortable with that, we're going to talk about it privately. If we can talk about it as a group, we do. So those kinds of things are the things that I, I'm still like I struggle with how do how do we talk about something in productive ways that addresses it? If we don't, we can't glance away from it. We have to be direct, but we don't want to belittle anybody. Also, and then on that same spectrum of bizarre things that can go wrong. You've got people who are all kinds of cognitive abilities, all kinds of mental abilities, and you just don't know, and you're Mm -hmm. taking everybody. So I think the person we're talking about was probably the closest I've come to really feeling like, oh, F, what am I really (laughs) going to do if this unravels? And uh, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Thankfully it never did. Like I you know, I've asked them to stop. I've had to tell people that they've said something racist before right. or, um, certainly sexist. I have, uh, when I work with young, like adolescents, they always want to fight and, and by fight, I mean, fist fight. Right. So I have to, you have to take that off the table. Like just so in their I, scenes, right? Like they, yes. is that, yeah, absolutely. Because they think, you know, drama or a scene is conflict. Like they're so right. used to reading conflict as in con, how do I create conflict? I punch you. I get angry right. at you. So, um, so we talk about how that's just, that's off the table. So I think just creating some boundaries around, yeah, we do anything except we don't do everything. Right. right. So, and what does that mean? And how does that look? And being specific. Um, I do better on the f- like setting that up is so much easier at the beginning than getting to the moment where someone is taking their pants off and having to say, Oh, by the way, we're all going to keep our pants on during this improv session. So. I think you said that. Yeah. Thankfully this guy, I mean, he, I think he was a pretty well-meaning guy and thankfully he responded to the ding, ding, ding. Anytime you gave yep. him the bell, he he shut it down, which yep. was great. You, it, and I'm actually uh, a bit Pavlovian trained now when I hear a ding, 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 I drop what I'm doing and run. So uh, you've, you've really worked wonders on me as well. Awesome. But yeah, just so just so listeners know, uh, this this guy, he didn't actually take his pants off. It was a miming thing, but no. he had the belt pretty far gone. So I think was, he was going to. In my mind, he was definitely headed that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was I was running. I just almost left the entire place. Uh, but no, it worked out. Um, but yeah, I've always wondered that, too, because I don't do well in situations. I'm not good at like watching cringy things happen. And I know a lot of times when people are trying to to act and, and be funny. And I've been in scenes where I'm like, I bet this is cringy to watch. Uh, I don't know how you have just the guts of steel to sit there and be like, oof. Because <laughs> you probably, as many good scenes as you've seen in your day and, and proud ones you've been a part of, I bet you've seen some that you were like, dude, I should have stopped that immediately. <laughs> um. Well, I've probably done as many as I've seen. So that's yeah. somewhat helpful. And I think remembering that these are no matter at what level, whether it's the improv troupe that I direct or my uh, college kids or my own children or a a class of adults or a class of kids, we're all learning. Like we're all still on that journey of learning. And, you know, we say there are mistakes, but there are better choices. And I think, you know, is I've had people had a real hard time getting feedback and, and that, 
that's hard for me because I don't like hurting people's feet. Like I'm never trying to hurt anybody's feelings. Um, but I think it, it, you know, it's been so helpful for me to get feedback when I've just done something that was like, it just didn't work. And I knew it didn't, didn't feel good. Um, and knowing that by hearing that didn't, that, that was derpy or whatever helps me to maybe make a better scene next time. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean you're never going to make a derpy scene because there's a derpy scene in all of us every day, all day. Yes. I've, I've had my fair share already out of the gate, <laughs> just a bushel load. And uh, I do, I do enjoy feedback. I think that's the only way I can grow. I don't trust myself yeah. to learn on my own. I'm like, what, what sure. do I need to do there? What was going on there? Did you mm-hmm. see something I didn't see? So I'm always open to it. So that's, it's uh, it's good to be in that state of mind. Um, so you've, We've alluded to your your um, your comedy troupe or, or whatever, but uh, you are the director of the Big Lit Conspiracy. Yes, it has a weird name. Yes, the city was originally Roanoke was originally called Big Lick, and uh, that mm-hmm. makes just for a funny name for anything. Why not add conspiracy on the end? Is that how it started? Yes. So uh, Rob Rouse, who, who was one of the original creators of of the group that eventually became Big Lick Conspiracy. Yeah, he wanted something that, that that was catchy and that people would it has a little mystery to mm-hmm. it. And so yeah, he came up with Big Lick Conspiracy. Yeah, Big Lick, of course, the first name of Roanoke, and then conspiracy is just you know, it's witchy. Yeah. I wish they would have kept it as big lick. Do you know how many times I'm just at an airport not around here and they're like, Oh, it looks like your bag is is marked for Roanaki. Is that where you're headed? Like, yes. <laughs> yep. Going straight yeah. back to Roanaki, born and raised. No, it's wrong. Come on. Um, they wouldn't confuse Big Lick. But what is so what is the Big Lick conspiracy and, and who are these people that, that make up the Big Lick conspiracy? Well, so uh, uh, so they actually started at Hollins, where I, I oh. now teach this the same person who uh, actually previously taught the class that I now teach many years ago. Um, but taught a group of um, non-college students improv, and this group was ragtag group of of, of risk takers. Uh, took the class, loved it so much as many of us do, and so they the class finished, and they were like, "We want to keep doing this." So they kept rehearsing together, kept kind of pulling from things that they learned at the class, and you know, gave themselves a name. Which you know, any good band once you got a name, that's that's, it. The, that's where that's where it's at. Um, and that was, uh, I think we're getting close to it being 15 years ago. Um, so there've been lots and lots of members that have come and gone, um, over the time, you know, some people come for a year or six months and the group that was rehearsing or, uh, performing together when I joined, I was actually in a a straight play at at Mill Mountain Theater in, in downtown Roanoke. And they were rehearsing on the first floor and I was like, Oh, what's going on in there? And they were having auditions the next week. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to do that. I'm just going to see how that goes. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of it. And we, Hmm. we, we hold, we try to have auditions about once a year now, but, uh, sometimes people contact us like, uh, you know, or I, now that I have classes pretty regularly, I see somebody, I'm like, Ooh, I know you really got, like yeah, I can see you got the bug and you've got the talent. I wonder if you want to, you know, come and mm-hmm. do this a little more. So there are uh, a ton of talented folks in there. Um, 
And I'm curious, is it the only improv show in town? Are there any other improv groups, maybe not even within the city, but within the area that you're aware of? Because I don't know of any other improv show around. And we, of course, being in Roanoke, the Roanoke area, uh, are not close to anything and are pretty used to that. Um, yeah. So now there's kind of a shark's jet situation. So oh. yeah, there's, there's, a, there's, uh, yeah, our rivals are in that now. Um, so there we should, <laughs> there's not another consistently performing group that I'm aware of anyway. Um, there have been other little pop-up groups that have got, I think kind of come and gone and, and they, they perform periodically, but I think we're the only group that's certainly been as, uh, as long, uh, around as we have been consistently. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I have not been made aware. Well, good. They're not on your radar. They're beneath the radar. So they're nothing to worry about. <laughs> and, uh, what does the big lit conspiracy actually do? They're going, um, you know, through the city doing some performances, you know, let's, let's pretend, uh, it's, it's we're pre or post COVID. What is the usual for the big lit conspiracy in terms of getting an audience? So just before COVID, um, we were, we had our, the most set of consistent shows. So we did uh, a Monday night show at Parkway Brewery, which was free for anybody who would come. And we got paid in beer, which was one of our favorite things to get paid in. (laughs) Uh, We also had uh, four other venues that we rotated through um, once we had once a month shows uh, on Saturday nights at one of those spots. So Showtimers Theater, Five Points, um, uh, what was Theater 3, so my spot at that time, and another one that is escaping me at the moment, and I'm not sure why. Oops. I can't. I know there's a fourth one because we had quarterly shows. Anyway, we also performed at Mill Mountain Theater, and we used to have a regularly monthly show at Corn Beef and Company for uh, quite a long time, for a couple of years anyway, that we have not been back to, but, you know, say la vie. Oh, well, uh, maybe one day. Are there yeah. any notable alumni, you know, are there any Chevy Chases in there, any John Candies steeped there in the old history books of Big Lit Conspiracy? Um, no, you know, Roanoke famous, maybe Rob Rouse actually is probably so in the, uh, for your podcast, your, mm. uh, so he's a, he has a board game podcast called blue peg, pink peg, which I understand is quite popular. And I think Kevin McAlexander of current big lick fame might be on that podcast as well. I, I uh-huh. have, and actually Patrick, um, Oh no, Patrick Kelly, uh, is also on that podcast and he's a former big licker. Um, oh, do we, you call yourselves big, or we call ourselves, I'm sorry. We call ourselves big lickers now. I did not know that. I like that. Yeah, well, sometimes, you know, just for <laughs> short, just for short. No, I do like it. Well, that is, yeah, this being a, a podcast and, and appealing to a podcast crowd and that being of uh, a nerdy persuasion, I think that might be a good sale. So uh, Blue Peg, yeah. Pink Peg, uh, yeah. check out some of the talent there. And also I've I've heard uh, this, uh, and I've not met this person, but I've seen you in videos with them. This Blair Payton has gone on to do some some big things as well. Well, Mr. Payton, who is one of my dearest friends, and I do enjoy doing comedy with him so much, he has a Google commercial that SOB, like mm. he did, he did sort of hit the big time. So yeah. he moved, he abandoned me personally 
and the group more generally, and also his family and others, but um, uh, moved to New York about, I guess, four or five years ago now. And he's living in Brooklyn and he works with Snooki. So that's oh pretty, gosh. I know, right? Huh. Um, I didn't know she a, was still doing anything. She has a podcast. Oh, wow. Now, I think it's a podcast. Now I feel concerned that I'm, I haven't remembered this correctly. But yeah, you hear think, her on it, but not see her because that would be a podcast. I think, yeah, <laughs> that's the way it is. Thank you. It is not a TV show because okay. I can't All see right. her. Good deal. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Um, well, it seems to me that a lot of the uh, the BLC, a lot of the big liquors have some theater or stage performance history, at least the ones that I've keyed in on. Again, I'm very new there. Still trying to get my bearings on who's who and who's what. Uh, mm-hmm. But do you feel that having a, a theater or stage performance history or drama uh, history, do you feel like that's important for being successful at improv? It doesn't hurt, for sure. And I, I think, um, you know, there are certain performance skills that are helpful that are, you know, staging, looking at staging and, and projecting, of course, these, these things that we do a lot as, as actors and performers. But I think those are things you can learn. Um, you know, to your point earlier, like you're doing so many things at once. If you can eliminate some of those things, um, it does, you know, you have fewer hurdles to get over to sort of start kind of uh, gliding the plane a little more often. Um, so if you're not having to think about like facing out and being loud and, and, you know, projecting and enunciating, but it's definitely not, there are plenty of improvisers, uh, you know, that we've had in the group or that I've seen that, you know, the improv was kind of their first performance mm-hmm. art. So you can learn it. Yeah. Interesting. And just out of curiosity, a lot of those folks, do they that have the theater background, are they out there looking for improv and come find you? Is that usually how it works? They, they say, Hey, I'm new in town. They do the old John Mulaney and they say, Hey, I'm new, I'm in, town, new in town, but, but um, I really want to, I want to, I want to make yucks. And uh, I Googled it and improv and your face came up. <laughs> um, is, is that how it goes a lot of time or is it always just through auditions and people curiously wondering if they even have what it takes? I think, yeah, I think we've probably gotten more members by people Googling us and saying mm-hmm. literally what you just said, which is <laughs> I'm going to say our uh, Sam Hedges, who's with us mm-hmm. now, he uh, was moving from uh, Arkansas and said, did the, exactly that. Googled us, saw us, sent me an email. And from his email, I, I was like, yeah, this kid's in. Like, <laughs> um, and he had done some improv. He'd been taking classes and then found out he was moving. So, um and I think uh, some folks who just auditioned, they like heard about us like through the grapevine and, and you know, reached out. I have people sending me some kind of message pretty, you know, pretty regularly. Some some show up and some don't. But yeah. yeah. Interesting. I'm just always curious how people find their way in there. Well, uh, we're on the down. We're on the we're landing the plane here. We've gone about oh, an hour. So I wanted to close perfect. out with just uh, letting you shout out some things that you're involved in. Um, I know that. There are plenty of podcasts, some of them now defunct, but uh, there are podcasts and video <laughs> series with your name in the credits. Are there any you would like to draw attention to here or point people to? Sure. So uh, the podcast that I'm working on right now is actually, um, I, and I'm a guest on it, so I'm not on there all the time, but uh, periodically uh, called Smells Like Humans, 
um, who Rob Rouse that I've spoken about. Ross Laguza uh, was also one of those nearly original improv members. So, um, but it's a really nice, they're human interest type stories. We take a topic and, and we often take a humorous, though never um, hurtful spin on them. It's really, a, that, that's an important part of that, that I really like. Uh, I did just film, uh, finish the short film, which is called Lucky Tonight. Have no idea what will happen with that, but hopefully it'll be somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, the, pro- the project that I do with Blair Payton, which is called Mother and Son Skype Session, um, and it is it has video as well as audio, so I think it's a show. <laughs> yeah, that, that one's a, that's a visual. That's a yeah. That, that comes with its own visuals. And so we won lots of I think partially we did it because we did it during the pandemic. It got a lot of love uh, because it was comedy. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people were doing very serious, introverted, artsy, creative, thoughtful things. And we were like, hi. What do you think about sneezing, mother? Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so I think we—it's uh, a lot of fun to do, and it is all improvised. We didn't; yeah. none of it's scripted. Uh, those characters have been around for a long time, but um, and then probably my my dearest project right now is the um, Pay What You Can Cafe that we're opening here in downtown Roanoke. Um, it's the only one in the region and uh, we're super excited to introduce the idea of pay what you can to the folks here. Yes. I'm also very excited for that. And yeah. uh, that's where I get to, to, to meet up with you every Monday and make yucks with strangers. And that has been Yay. quite an experience. And I'm so happy that you you came on here today to answer a few of my questions, which uh, again, a lot of them were just for me personally. I'm like, what, what does I join big lit conspiracy? What do we do? Do we just do this thing on Mondays to nobody and pretend there's a show later? And that's what drives oh, us. And so I, 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 hopefully we will have shows soon. Yes. Yes. Hopefully. Well, before we part, uh, what is your advice for people who are interested, but are too timid or too afraid to try their hand at improv? Um, gosh, does that mean you're too timid to, to, so maybe my suggestion is this, try to find an online class um, because I think there is something about being able to sit at my desk in my room where I can kind of close my door and I can just look at people on the screen. And I think online improv classes are plenty, like you're going to learn it's different than being in person, but you're going to learn those skills. You're going to get to practice them. And I think it feels a little less intimidating if you can kind of, if there's at any moment, you can just click off your camera. <laughs> um, so maybe try it online, but I mean, truly just get over yourself and go do it. I mean, I, my favorite person in any improv class is the person that was brought there by their friend and they don't want to be there. And they make it very clear to me that they're not going to participate. And I say, that's fine. You don't have to participate. And by the end, they are doing it. They're laughing. They're making their (laughs) friend laugh and they're asking when the next class is. So give yourself permission to, to be silly. Awesome. Well, thank you again for taking the time and uh, I'll see you. I won't see you on Monday, but in a couple of Mondays, I'll come Mm -hmm. hang out. All right. Well, we're going to miss you, Travis. And thanks so much for having me on. This has been delightful. All right, everyone. Thank you for sticking around to listen to that interview with Amy Trowell. If you would, please go check out all of the stuff, man. Go to biglickconspiracy.com. Yep, .com. Just looked it up. 
Uh, I'm not on the website yet, so you won't believe anything I say. But one day, gosh, I hope to be on that website. I'll be on there and you can be like, well, Travis wasn't lying. He really is in a league of goons. That's impressive for him, I guess. Uh, be sure to look up Amy Trowell just wherever you look up things because uh, she has a lot of funny YouTube videos. If you want to check out Mother and Son Skype Sesh, uh, those were quite a hoot, especially during the early part of the pandemic when we thought it was going to last, I don't know, a couple of days, something like that. It has that energy to it. It's like, oh, the COVID's it's about over, right? It's, what is this, April of 2020? Uh, and of course, that wasn't the case. But you know what? Those mother-son Skype sessions, pretty good, pretty funny. So please look those up on the YouTube, check them out. However you can get through to Amy that you appreciated hearing her on this, uh, please do that. I don't know how you'll do it. I don't know how you're going to do it. That's up to you, folks. You're going to have to figure it out. If you liked hearing from Amy, please let her know in some way. I don't think she uses Twitter or really anything. She is a classic institution of comedy. She doesn't need the socials. So there you go. So it's up to you. Figure it out. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to this. As always, you can find me on the Twitter. I'm at TravPlaysGames. Of course, Alex, my co-host, typically, he's at SNES Drunk. You can find us both on YouTube. That'd be awesome. Rate us and stuff like that. We like to be rated. That helps out the show. Please, God damn, please, go to iTunes and fucking rate and review this podcast. You're out there listening to it? What? Just fucking do it. Please, God, please. Uh, what else? Oh, we want to thank Coolor for the star bouncing music. And we want, I, you can tell I don't have the script in front of me. And we want to thank Josh Leslie for his thirst quenching logo. Please go to polymedianetwork.com. Find all of the stuff and go listen to Smells Like Humans podcast that Amy is occasionally a guest on. It is fantastic. I did try to get them in the network and I got ghosted, but you know what? That's okay. Not a big deal because it's still a good podcast and I would have only made it worse. So, Please check all of that stuff out and thank you for listening. And I bet Alex hopes that you have a great rest of your day. Bye.